Hey, Village Church. Welcome to this week's podcast. When you think of Jesus, what picture comes to mind? What does Jesus look like? What is he doing? What is he wearing? What you think when you think about Jesus matters profoundly. In this message, Pastor Michael will challenge your view of Jesus. A.W. Tozer, he is a Christian author, been dead for a few decades now, and he wrote something very profound. I want you to listen to this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you some questions, and when preachers ask questions, sometimes you can ignore them. I, I, I really want you to imagine what I'm talking about, okay? I want you to get in your mind's eye a picture um, of what I'm talking about. So here, here's what I want you to answer in your brain. What picture comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Picture Jesus in your brain. What does he look like? What is he doing? What is he wearing? What do you picture in your brain? So in the infamous movie Talladega Nights, uh, there is a man named Ricky Bobby. And Ricky Bobby has an epic prayer that has gone down in prayer history. But as I read this prayer to you, um, know that I've sat with many, many, many a young student who have asked me questions just like what he's praying about. And I want you to uh, hear this. Ricky Bobby is at a dinner table with his wife and his father and his kids. And here's what he says. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him. And his horrible lick. And it smells terrible. And the dogs are just always bothering with a dear, tiny, infant Jesus. We, and then his wife interrupts. Hey, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, I like the Christmas Jesus best. And I'm saying grace. And when you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. And then he goes on and he prays. Dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fists... His father-in-law chimes in. He was a man. He had a beard. Ricky says, look, I like the baby version of the best. Do you hear me? His kids chime in. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band and I'm in the front row. Ricky finishes his prayer. Okay, dear, eight pounds, six ounce, newborn, infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet, just a little infant and so cuddly, but still omnipotent. We thank you. (laughs) Some of you have been in a home where like your little kids are praying something almost as funny as this. And yet there are even some of us who, let's be honest, when you thought of Jesus, when you pray to Jesus, there is a very, very strange picture going on in your head. And this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to take you on a journey uh, from before creation even began to the present day. And here's what I want to do. I want to blow up your wrong ideas of who Jesus is, what he's doing, what he's like. And I want you to understand him in this Christmas season, I think, in a very, very fresh and beautiful way. But we need to get one piece of context before we jump into this, okay? And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Joseph has just found out that his wife is pregnant, quote, by the Holy Spirit, okay? And he's not buying it, and so he goes to sleep, and an angel visits him, and here's what the angel says to Joseph. Joseph, just as the scriptures had said, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here, here's the one fact we just have to agree on. The Bible, from beginning to end, wants you to understand this fact about Jesus. Though he is fully man, he is 100% fully God, no questions asked. Jesus lacks no divinity. He is fully divine in every single way. He is fully God, fully man. And if you don't understand that, like if you think Jesus, when he um, was born, was just like a good prophet or a good teacher or God raised him from the dead because he was better than most people, you're missing the whole point. Jesus is fully man and fully God. Are we on the same page? Good. So here's the question. If he's fully God, this means that he, like God, is eternally pre-existent. You know what that means? It means he existed eternally. As far back as you can possibly go in your brain, Jesus existed and Jesus was. There never was a time when the Son was not. He has always existed. He is eternally pre-existent. Many people have the false notion that when Jesus became flesh, or this is the word we use, incarnation, which is when uh, somebody takes on flesh, when Jesus became incarnate. Some people have this misunderstanding that, well, we don't know what he was doing before that. It wasn't really important. All we know is that it started when he became a baby, which is not true. He existed eternally in the past. There never was a time when the son was not. But the question I have is, what was he doing? Does the Bible even tell us or give us a hint? In fact, the Bible tells us so much about what was going on. And so here's, I want you to listen. The first point on our notes, if you have your notes, open those up, is the pre-incarnate Jesus was mysterious. Meaning until we get to the New Testament, until the New Testament explains what was happening in the Old Testament, we didn't have the ability to grasp what Jesus was doing and who God was. We read the Old Testament, and here's what we understand. God is complicated. Uh, he's very complicated. He is Three gods and one, or one God, I'm sorry, whoa, you almost stunned me there. One God, edit that out, Brian. One God in three persons. And each of those persons are eternally pre-existent. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says this. Jesus, who though he was, okay, was, past tense or future? Past, okay. Though he was in the form of God. So before he was a human, he had form, and his form was was God. So that before Jesus was incarnate, he was actually fully God. Now, here's my question. Before creation, what was Jesus doing? Because apparently he existed eternally before even matter and time existed. So before time, what was he even doing? And I'll give you a really interesting answer, and I think for some of you this will kind of explode your brains a little bit. Before creation, Jesus eternally existed with the Father and the Spirit in perfect harmony, joy, pleasure, and community. This was the greatest party that has ever existed in human history, bar none. There was no more entertaining, interesting place to be than in the community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's what John 1, 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is, I'm going to give you a hint. Almost every question I ask you, the answer is going to be Jesus this morning, okay? So, in the beginning was the Word. Who was the Word? Jesus. There, you guys are on it, okay. Um, and the Word was with God. So where was God, where was Jesus, who was the Word? He was with God. And the Word 
was God. He was in the beginning with God. So where was Jesus before anything even happened? He was in the presence of God because he was God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect community. Colossians 1.17, Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. Now, that's interesting. Okay, he existed forever, but here's what I want you to listen to. Here is the way the Psalms describe what God's presence, triune presence, is like. Psalm 1611, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus, eternally preexistent, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in perfect, joyful unity. There was no source of greater pleasure than could possibly be imagined in the community of the Godhead, of the Trinity, of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But then the Godhead had a great idea. They created. They created the angelic realm, and the physical realm, and humans, and angels, and spiritual realm. And and here's my question for you. When the world was being created, who did it? Who made the world? Was it the Father? Was it the Son? Or was it the Spirit? Ah. <laughs> Let me read for you John 1, 3. Let me bring clarity. All things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 16. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven And on earth, the spiritual realm, everything that you can possibly imagine in Scripture, who created it? The Father? No. The Spirit? No. Jesus did. Jesus created it. Whether visible, this stuff, like the earth, all the stuff that you can see, or the invisible, if you had these special glasses that allowed you to see the spiritual realm, everything that you would possibly see in the spiritual realm, who created it? Jesus. Good. The answer is almost always going to be Jesus, so just roll with it, okay? Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So if somebody is put onto a throne or a kingdom, who has put them there? Answer? Jesus, right? And so it just keeps going. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And so Jesus is incredibly active. you got to get a picture in your brain. Before he was cuddly, six pounds, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, okay? He was the God of the universe, creating with the word of his power, speaking heavenly things, earthly things, authorities, dominions, everything you can imagine, every angel that you could ever possibly meet, they will step back and say, I was created by Jesus. There's this little um, formula that I love, and it's, it help, it's helpful to think about the Trinity. And it goes like this. The Father ordains, the Son executes, and the Spirit sustains. But the Son is the one who is going to enter into time and space and carry out the orders of the Father. I love on, on, on earth, Jesus said, I do what the Father tells me to do. Whatever he says to do, I do. When he says go, I go. When he says stop, I stop. And, and Jesus uh, literally executes the plans of the Father. But when God enters space and time, who is it? Jesus, okay? And we're going to watch this play itself out. Now, where was Jesus in the garden? Walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. You ever thought about that? When God takes form, it's who? Jesus. Let me read for you Colossians 1.15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So was Jesus just all of a sudden bored for all of eternity past? And he said, I'm going to show up as a baby one day. No incredibly interactive with his creation, 
taking on bodily form, interacting with them as God. I love, I just got to be honest, I love this idea that Mary, the mother of God, this teenage girl, she gave birth to the one who formed her DNA. She gave birth to the one who chose the hue of her skin. I mean, he hand-picked not just her to be his mom, but he put together her DNA and her skin color. Uh, Jesus was the one who put life into Mary's mother's womb, so she became living. Jesus is the one who literally determined the moments and the means of Mary's death. Like, this, this is who she gave birth to. Now, after the fall, what did Jesus do? Did he just go back up into heaven, play around a little bit, and say, all right, 4,000 years, and we're going to become incarnate? <laughs> Not at all. And so a few weeks ago, we preached a sermon, and we talked about how the angel of the Lord was Jesus pre-incarnate. And some of you had a lot of questions. I knew I'd be preaching on this in a few weeks, so I just kind of saved the, the answers. And I want to go deep into this, and I want you to see just how awesome, interactive, and powerful Jesus really is. So uh, the word angel means messenger. Basically means one sent out. And so Jesus is sent out by God the Father to execute his plans. And so it's very interesting what happens. We see that Jesus is already in the garden. And if you have notes, pull them out so you can write, write along and plan with me here. But uh, Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. Here's what happens. Uh, Hagar, who's the estranged wife of Abraham, she sees this angel of the Lord, who we now know is Jesus, and she looks at him and says, you are a God who sees. And she immediately ascribes deity to him. Uh, remember Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham is going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Do you know who gives the sacrifice? The angel of the Lord. Jesus shows up when Abraham is about to sacrifice his son and provides the substitute that Abraham needs instead of his son, the burning bush. Do you know who's inside the burning bush? You guessed it. <laughs> Jesus, right? You guys are so smart. The angel of the Lord is literally inside the burning bush. Uh, the angel of the Lord has a sword in Numbers chapter 22, verse 23, and he's talking to a donkey, Balaam. And in this, the angel of the Lord self-identifies as God. Judges chapter 2, the angel of the Lord, catch us, takes credit. He takes full credit for freeing the Israelites uh, from Egyptian slavery at Passover. He takes full credit for being the one who does that. Keeps going. Judges 6, the angel of the Lord takes on some kind of human form. And Gideon, when he realizes who it was, he is afraid that he's going to die because he says he saw God. Judges 13, 22, there was a man named Manoah and his wife, and they met the angel of the Lord. And here's what he said after he met him. We shall surely die, for we have seen God. There's a story in 2 Kings 19, and I want to just read you verse 35 to you. And that night the angel of the Lord, who is, went out and struck down 185,000 from the camp of the Assyrians. And when they had arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, enters into human history to help, to sustain, but also to execute judgment according to the mission of the Father gives him. We read this a couple weeks ago. David um, is being punished for his sin, and so is the nation of Israel. They've rebelled, and God sends, the Father sends Jesus to execute judgment. And here's what it says. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord, who is 
Jesus standing between heaven and earth and in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. The father at this point intervenes and says, it's enough, put, it, put your sword away. And he puts his sword back in his sheath, but it was already 70,000 people who had been, kill, been killed at the hands of the angel of the Lord who is Jesus. David, um, having firsthand experience with the angel of the Lord, listen to what he writes in Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And you see Jesus, he's executing judgment on his enemies, but deliverance and care for those who are his. At the very um, end in the Minor Prophets, the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 1, who is standing at the right hand of God but the angel of the Lord? Pop quiz, little church. In the Bible... Who stands at the right hand of God? Jesus. This is amazing. I love this. I'm, I, and so we think of Jesus like, oh, he just popped up one day. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't just pop up one day. He is fully engaged, fully interactive. He has always been about accomplishing the mission and the will of the Father. I want you to listen to Hebrews 1.3. And my goal this morning, again, is to blow up your Jesus concept, re-put him back together so he takes the rightful size in your brain that he's supposed to have. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So when you see Jesus, who do you see? God, because he is fully God, good. And Jesus upholds the universe, not just planet Earth, not just your little life. He upholds the universe, all of the stars, everything going on by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't that amazing? I mean, before Jesus was baby, eight pounds, six ounce, cuddly, cute little Jesus, He was an executor of judgment, a sustainer of his people, a deliverer, a communicator of God's word and God's message and a helper. And he is showing up at almost every major event in biblical history. I mean, he is there. And then he becomes incarnate, which again means he becomes flesh, which is point number two. He goes from being mysterious, and now he becomes unassuming Jesus. Uh, You almost don't even notice him if you're not paying attention. Philippians 2, verse 5 and 6 says this, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, this God emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We say that um, God, Jesus, laid aside not his deity, but the privileges of deity. And here's what I want you to get. He didn't just pop up, okay? He was experiencing the greatest pleasure and joy and community you can possibly imagine with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was fully interactive. This is the God who with his sword can stand between heaven and earth and slaughter people. This is the God who has more power in his pinky and in his words than you can possibly imagine. And this is the God who laid aside those privileges of deity for you and for me, who took on a baby. What a helpless, crying, lays aside the privileges of his own deity because he loves you. Luke 2, verse 11 and 12. The angels are telling the shepherds, Jesus has just been born. Here's what they say. For unto you is born this day 
in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. By the way, what does the Lord mean? God, right? So he's saying the Christ, God, he was just born. The angels are clearly communicating here. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. What? Why he's got a baby? Wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Can I just translate for you what I think the shepherds heard that, that night? This is my little um, versions, uh, version. Hey, shepherds. Probably not that informal, but you get the point, you know? Hey, look up here. Today, a baby was born for you to finally save you. He was born in Bethlehem. It's the city of King David just as God had promised. He is the one you and all of Israel have been waiting for, chosen by God to free you. But hear this. He is not just a baby. He is our God, Yahweh in the flesh. Here's how you will know which one it is. And they're expecting there'll be angels around him. He'll be in gold and kings and craziness. And No, you will know him because he'll be born in a barn. He'll be out in the cold, wrapped up tightly, and like a servant's baby, he'll be lying in a dirty animal's feeding trough. But God, Jesus Christ, existing in perfect community, lays aside the privileges of deity, becomes a baby, and allows ultimately his creation to execute him when all he has to do is call down a legion of angels and destroy every single threat to his life. Post-incarnate. Jesus is awe-inspiring. So we've seen where Jesus has come from, where he's been, what he's been doing. What is he doing now? When you think of Jesus, do you get a little picture of an icon in front of you with this neat little halo, and you're like, oh. Like, I think we can do better than that. I think the Bible does infinitely better than that. I'll share with you two passages of Scripture. Um, When you think about Jesus, I want you to start rethinking. I want you to start getting something bigger and better and more awesome. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 and 22 says this, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, every one of them, by the way, authorities, every king, every ruler in this universe, every person who's ever lived with any kind of authority whatsoever, and powers have all been subjected to him. So Jesus sits and every knee bows. Nobody, I don't care how grand and terrible and awesome and big you are, nobody stands before Jesus proud. Everyone gets on their knees. I don't care who you are, if you are Satan yourself, you get on your knees before him because he's the king of kings and the Lord of the universe. Revelation chapter one, one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus. John the apostle, apostle who Um, honestly walked with Jesus for three years, saw Jesus risen and glorified. Now he gets a picture of Jesus glorified in heaven. And I just want you to soak this in. And as you think about Jesus this Christmas and you remember the humility of Christ, don't confuse the Jesus you're praying for as a little baby. Here's what I want you to understand. He's like now. John says, Then I turned to see the voice, Revelation 1.12, that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, which are the churches. So Jesus is in the midst of the churches. So he's in heaven at the right hand of God. The spirit of Christ dwells amongst the churches. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe. By the way, who wears long robes? Kings. 
with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. Now, some of you are getting into your brain that Jesus is an old man with a robe like your grandpa, okay? Let's, let's obliterate that idea, okay? This is way cooler than that, right? Here's, here's what he says. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Like, imagine laser beams with fire all around. Like, everywhere Jesus looks, things just start slashing in half and breaking. He's like, stop looking at me! You know, it's like, ah, I can't. The hairs of his head were like, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a, service, uh, in a furnace, meaning he was, he's so sturdy, you can like, try to bulldoze him over and you can't move him. He is unshakable. His foundations are absolutely secure. He's strong. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. Have you ever heard many waters and you try to talk to somebody? You're like, I, talk louder. I can't hear you. The water is too loud. Jesus, Stop talking. We're trying to have a conversation over here. Don't say that to him, by the way, because that would go really bad for you. Um, but he's, he's loud. His voice is roaring and booming as he looks, and things are getting sliced to pieces. And, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Burns bright. His right in his right hand, he held seven stars, which means the angels are under his control, and he sends them out. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. So that if you were to lay your eyes on Jesus, you would buckle away, not just in awe, but in fear and in blindness. You would be struck. And you know what John's response is? Can I have a hug? No. High five, Jesus. No. Here's what he does. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first, meaning I am eternally preexistent. There never was a time when I was not. And I am the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Never, ever again will I ever die. I reign, I rule, I am glorified, I'm majestic, I'm awe-inspiring, I'm more amazing and entertaining and engaging than anything you could possibly put in your mind. And no enemy, no foe, no how, no, no how big or how strong will ever, ever, ever be a threat to me. I'm alive forevermore. And I, I am the one who has the keys to death and Hades. I control when people live and when people die. I control how all of this world works. I hold the world uh, with the power of my word in my right hand. That's me. I get to do that. And John just steps back and he is blown away. That's a little bit different than our baby Jesus, right? Don't get me wrong. He was baby Jesus. He laid aside the privileges of deity. But here's what I want you to get. When you worship God and Jesus Christ, you're not worshiping a baby. You're worshiping the most majestic, glorious being that you could ever possibly imagine. And then when you see him, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians will come true. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has in store for those who love him. Amazing. My desire this morning is to blow up your version of Jesus and to put it back together so you have a more beautiful, less puny vision of who he is. Here's the reality. Whatever glorious vision you have, when you stand before him and see him face to face, you'll say, you're way better than anything I could have ever imagined. So this Jesus, I'll be honest, I want to stand before this Jesus forgiven. I want to stand before this Jesus 
without any relational issues whatsoever. Can I get an amen from somebody on that one, right? Right? As he looks at me and I get cut in half, you know, like, no. Like, I want to have some kind of protection around me. And uh, here's, here's what, it's so simple. God has promised that anyone who would trust in his son would have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. That's it. I love that God doesn't play games. A lot of us think about God like he plays games, like, oh, just answer me. What do I have to do to get you to answer me? And he's like, I, I don't, I don't play games. I'm not, I, I, you don't have to be good enough. Nobody's good enough. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to be good looking enough. You don't have to go to church enough. You don't have to be righteous enough. Here, here's all you need to know. You're broken and there's nothing you can do. He paid the price for you. So here's the option between, before every human being. You pay the price of your sins or Jesus pays it for you. Every time, give me Jesus. 100%. And so we, we share this with you, not just to blow up your old version of Jesus, put them back together, uh, but here's what every single person in your life has to face Jesus. And we want every single person to face him now and to come to grips with him now so they can come to him and trust him now so they can stop relying on their own righteousness because when you stand before Jesus and he says something like, well, why should I let you in? You're going to say, because I'm pretty good. Fail. If you stand before him and say, you made a promise to me. You said that you would pay the price for my sins. Like this should be free for me. I'm not saying it's not expensive. I'm just saying it's free for me. So that was your commitment to me. You said, if I trusted in you, if I really trusted in you, you would do that for me. And every single time, he keeps his word without any, any hesitation. So when you stand before him, you'll meet the most glorious being you could ever imagine. And he will invite you in. He will put his right hand on you and say, you don't be afraid. Your sins are 100% covered. Those church, in this Christmas season, um, I want you to love him more than you ever have before. And I want to see you... Um, help the people in your life get a bigger vision of who he is. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to ask the band to come up. I want to close in prayer. I think we're going to respond in just the most appropriate way possible. We're going to worship. Let's pray together. God, we confess that we have such trite and small views of who you are. Honestly, God, the views of you we often have in our head um, make a mockery of you. And even those temptations for us and those sins of us making you smaller than you are, you died for those too. That in Christ, those who've trusted in you, there's no condemnation, even despite the fact that we are so silly sometimes and we are so sinful, you love us no matter what. And so God, my desire is for every one of us just to relish in the fact that our sins are forgiven despite our imperfections, that you love us, that you have paid for the full price of our sins. And God, for those who have never trusted in you, I pray you would just show them that you are better than anything this world has to offer. And you are real. Will you overwhelmingly with power and with clarity reveal yourself? And so God, as we come to um, worship you in music, uh, we love you. We are grateful. We are thankful. And it is our pleasure to worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen.